0: When it comes to living a life of, of worth and significance, the primary question of each of us, I'm probably going to suggest, isn't am I committed, but actually it is what am I committed to. So what am I committed to? And as Christians, we should be highly committed, shouldn't we, to the health and the growth and the well-being of the people we're serving. That's, 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 that's the people we call Family. We, we, should, we should be highly committed to that. Do you agree? If you agree, say yes, amen, yes. Or, or whatever. Yeah, you can say whatever. No, don't say whatever. That sounds really bad, doesn't it? He committed, whatever. No, don't, don't do that. But, but most of all, who should we be as Christians most committed to? Go on, say it louder, Liz. Say it louder. Jesus! Jesus we should be committed to Jesus Um, 1 Kings 8 verse 61 says this it's on your sheet actually uh, on the reverse side of your sheet may your you might want to fill this this missing word in I wonder if you can guess what the missing word is may your hearts be fully committed to the Lord our God to live by his decrees and obey his commands now notice notice those words as as you're looking at them there They, they, they don't come with any options do they? It says we, we have to be fully committed. So there are no ifs or buts, ands. Can you see any ifs or ands or buts in that sentence? No, we, we should be fully committed to, to our God. So the Bible, because the Bible then, then seems to plainly answer the question, to what are we committed to, doesn't it? We are committed to, to God, to, to Jesus. Yeah. People are committed. We're, we're so committed to many different things these days, aren't we? Things that really are worth being committed to. And some of those things are, are like family. It's, it's very good to be committed to your family. It's good to be committed to your career. It's very good to be committed to your health. All right? These, these are good things to to commit to to doing well, to, to being, a, a for example, a good father. In my case, giving a good husband to so, so maybe trying to... Lose a number of pounds, you know, being committed to my health. These are good things, but our commitment to Jesus should be the first and foremost on that list. Would you agree? Say whatever. There you go. So I want to work with you, I want to work through you, and again, you can see it on the back of your sheet. Three different types of commitment. When we're going to use Matthew 26 from verse 47. So I'm going to read that out to you. I'm reading from the, the Passion Translation. I'm going to use that as the basis to work through these three different types of commitment. Let me read it. At that moment, Judas, his once trusted disciple, that's Judas's once trusted disciple, appeared, along with a large crowd of men armed with swords and clubs. They had been sent to arrest Jesus by order of the ruling priests and Jewish religious leaders, Now Judas, the traitor, had arranged to give them a signal that would identify Jesus. For he had told them, Jesus is the one whom I will kiss, so grab him. Judas quickly stepped up to Jesus and said, Shalom, Rabbi. And he kissed him on both cheeks. My beloved friend, Jesus said, is this why you've come? And then the armed men seized Jesus to arrest him. But one of the disciples, and that disciple was Peter, pulled out a dagger and swung it at the servant of the high priest, slashing off his ear. And Jesus said to him, put your dagger away. For all those who embrace violence will die by violence. Don't you realize that I could ask my heavenly father for angels to come at any time to deliver me? And instantly he would answer me by sending 12 armies of the angelic host to come and protect us. But that would thwart the prophetic plan of God. For it has been written that it would happen this way. So in this text, who do we find? Well, we find Judas Iscariot, don't we? Who appeared throughout, throughout the Gospels. He displayed an, an outward appearance of commitment to Jesus. But there's a the thing. An outward show of loyalty to Jesus is meaningless unless we follow Christ in our heart. And I suppose that could be applied in any scenario. An outward show of loyalty to someone is meaningless, unless you really mean it in your heart. Judas Iscariot then is remembered for one and one thing only. What's he remembered for? He's remembered for the the betrayal of, of Christ, isn't he? That's what we think about when we think his name. And even though he showed remorse later, that name has become... Uh, a symbol for traitors and turncoats throughout history, hasn't it? You know, oh, you Judas. You know, someone calls you a Judas. They are, in, in effect, saying that you are a a backstabber, someone who is not to be trusted. I, I don't want to be. I don't wanna ever want to be a Judas. Now, Judas definitely had a commitment, because, in fact, each and every one of us, as I said earlier, is committed to something, even if it's committed to doing nothing at all we're still committed to it but to further the question that that I've I've brought this morning I want what, what kind of commitment do you have and I'm going to suggest to you that there are at least three kinds of commitment that we could have there may be more than maybe maybe different ways of putting this but I'm going to list the three that I've put together so the first one is a deceptive commitment a deceptive commitment I think it's quite clear that Judas had what? He had a deceptive commitment. Some people can be very firmly committed to doing something if they're given a large enough bribe. My kids are very committed to going to the shop if I tell them I'll buy them some sweets. (laughs) Whereas moments earlier they were too busy or had homework to do. Judas is known by some as what? He's known by, I don't know if you know this, the, the great pretender. Uh, and without doubt, he is probably the most notorious, the most vilified of all the disciples, quite rightly. His name actually appears last in the list of, of the disciples throughout Scripture, except in Acts 1, where his name doesn't appear at all. Now, in, in, in that culture, as you wrote something, generally what you felt most important, you wrote first. So whatever comes last, you think the least of. When when Judas is mentioned in the Bible, the word of God constantly reminds us, consistently reminds us, that he's a traitor who betrayed Jesus to his death. And how's that for a legacy? How is that for a legacy? Judas, the man who betrayed the saviour of the world. Judas, one of the twelve apostles, a disciple of Jesus while he was on earth. Judas, a professing follower of our Messiah. It may be that there are too many people in the church today ...who are a little like Judas. And I'm not suggesting anybody's like that here. I'm just putting that thought out there. That maybe some people profess Jesus Christ with their mouth... ...but he's nowhere in their heart. What's most interesting about Judas was that for a while... ...he was able to, to fool so many people that he hung out with. He seemed as much committed to Jesus and his cause... ...as, as all the other disciples... Jesus actually said during the Lord's Supper, while possibly giving Judas his one last chance to repent, he said, One of you is to betray me. No one appeared to expect that that betrayer would turn out to be Judas. No one, it doesn't say in scripture, they all started looking at Judas, you know, nodding their heads and kind of winking that, yeah, Judas is the dodgy one. Nobody did that. Nobody realized. So when Jesus revealed there was a betrayer among them, Judas continued to to sin and deceive. And and he even had the audacity to say this. And I'd love to know how how exactly he said this. Teacher, perhaps it is I. You know, kind of like that innocent way that you can... Perhaps it's I, that double bluff. Do do you know what I mean? Maybe he was pointing at him so people would point away from him. He continues to sin and deceive. And he asked it in a a way that must have veined innocence. But here's the thing to note in that particular bit of scripture, that, that, that sentence that he says. He called Jesus teacher and not Lord. He called, him, he called him rabbi, remember? Not Lord. Proving maybe that he didn't actually really consider Jesus to be his Lord and saviour. Possibly. Jesus continued to lay out his deceptive plan. He he knew it would be done during the night and it would be dark. So he wondered, he probably wondered to himself, how is the temple guard going to be able to recognise Jesus in the dark? Because there's no streetlights, remember. How is he going to recognise him in the dark, slipping out of their hands? So he sorted out a plan, didn't he? he? In which he'd simply walk up to Jesus and greet him with a kiss. Now before you think that seems a bit of a strange way to point someone out, which you may do, we've got to note that a kiss during those times was a sense, if you you greeted somebody like that, it means there was a sense of deep commitment between you both. There was a deep relationship that that you had. So this particular kiss, it was meant to keep him in in good grace with the other disciples, because again, deceiving, the other disciples wouldn't think anything of it, him going up to greet Jesus like that. He must have thought, Judas must have thought that he couldn't possibly suspect that he was actually betraying Jesus if he gave him a kiss. So he didn't point his finger, did he? He didn't didn't point his finger and say, here he is. He, He simply greeted Jesus with a kiss. Indicating his commitment. But this wasn't a commitment to Jesus. This was a commitment to his deceptive plan. That's why we call it. The deceptive commitment. Just how how dangerous is it to plan and plot evil, but at the same time profess commitment to Jesus Christ? Well, I talked in part two of this series. About how committed I was to team building days. Do you remember when I talked about team building days and, and, and how, I would, how I, would, I, I would actually plot and manipulate my way through these team building days. So, so that the team did what I wanted them to do in a way that I wanted them to do it. So that to my bosses I looked amazing. Do you remember that? I wanted things to, to go my way. So it's easy to slip into that, that way of thinking. So we got Judas betraying Jesus with a kiss. A sign that we use as a sign of affection. But his deception was, was exposed the moment he kissed him. Because it says this, Jesus looked at him with sorrow. Jesus looked at him with sorrow and says, a kiss, Judas? Are you really going to betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Jesus wasn't rebuking Judas subtly telling him off. I think this question was designed to try and make Judas think again about what he was about to do. Maybe once again, Jesus was trying to give Judas one more chance before he became labelled as the man who betrayed the saviour of the world for all eternity. And when I think about this event, when I think about Jesus' response to Judas' kiss as it applies to us today, it possibly boils down to this. Do we really love God? Or do we just love the things that he does for us? What happens to our relationship with God when he isn't giving us the things we think we need to make us happy? Judas thought that those 30 pieces of silver will make him happy. So he had this bright idea to trade Jesus to get in to get his hands on on that money. Judas was committed to to self-advancement. He was committed to being financially secure at the expense of the life of Jesus. So instead of having Jesus at the centre of his world, what did he have? He had money at the centre of his world. And it was only when it was too little, too late, did he realise that. So bear in mind... That it was Judas who volunteered to hold the money purse as he travelled around with Jesus and the other disciples. So Judas was committed, but his commitment wasn't to Jesus. The next commitment I'm going to suggest to you is, again it's written on your sheet there, is the fleshly commitment. And sometimes you have to resort to words like fleshly and carnal. You just can't get away from it. It's 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 theological, it's scriptural. So it's, it's the fleshly commitment. In verse 31 of this, this, this chapter, we see that Peter exhibits yet another type of commitment, this, this fleshly commitment. Like I say, if you want to sound a bit more theological, you can call it a carnal commitment. And if we describe someone as a carnal, then we're describing someone who lives only to please themselves. If this person is a Christian, then it could be said that they're still being controlled by the old person they used to be, sort of pre-baptism. Instead of the new person they've become. They know all the jargon. They know all the Christianese. And they memorise all the latest worship song lyrics. They might even quote scripture to fit their need for the moment. Maybe not really knowing exactly what that particular bit of scripture actually means. So our imaginary carnal Christian, if you like, might be described as a rebellious Christian. Because... They refuse to accept all of God's word because they don't really want to surrender everything to him. There are a few worldly things from their former life. They just, they just don't want to give up, no matter what. So, I'm suggesting here that, that Peter... In reaching for his his dagger, or he calls it his sword in in some translations, and cutting off the ear of the servant of the high priest, this this guy called Malchus, he was acting within his carnality at that very moment. For example, when we who are Christians say naughty words, given with some feeling to the driver who pulled out just in front of us, we're acting within our carnality. I may have said a naughty word or two over the years to drivers who pulled out in front of me. Some of you have as well, so I'm, I'm, I'm guessing. It's an indicator, it's alright, it's an indicator that, that we've still got some growing to do, isn't it? We've, we've still got a bit of growing to do. So Peter caused Jesus to perform yet another miracle, even while being arrested by the temple guards. And Jesus became, he became an otolaryngologist, laryngologist. Yeah, I thought I'd just slip that in there as if I know what I'm talking about. An otolaryngologist, that's, that's an ear doctor, okay? And he restored the ear of Malchus. And I think at that point we realised that Peter, he was saved. We might say naughty words, but we're saved. So Peter was saved, but he was still working out what his salvation, what it, what it, what it meant, actually. Still growing into it. And I think, again, like a, a lot of us, certainly like, like the person stood in front of you preaching to you right now. I'm still growing, I'm still developing, I'm still maturing. Jesus rebuked Peter, didn't he, in his carnal commitment. He he said, said, put your dagger away. In other words, that's not how a Christian should act. So when we say those naughty words, because that person has cut us up in the car, and our wife might say to us, you really shouldn't talk like that, then that's a rightful telling off, because you really shouldn't be saying naughty words like that. It's not how a Christian should act. Jesus went on to say to Peter that those who embrace violence will die by violence. I think some translations say those who embrace the sword will die by the sword. But in this particular translation it says violence. And Peter, to his credit, took a stand for Jesus. So, you know, you've got to give Peter credit. He he thought he was taking a stand for Jesus while in the flesh. Because Peter thought... He thought at that moment in an earthly manner. He, he misunderstood the words of Jesus. He, he didn't wait for Jesus' instructions. He didn't, he didn't think clearly. He just acted upon impulse. I think maybe that was just Peter all throughout Scripture really. But, but so many of us act on impulse without thinking it through first. His actions in that day were not in God's plan. They were not in God's will, were they? By cutting off the soldier's ear, what might he have done? He might have caused more violence. He might have caused more, you know, and really going for it, you know, not just his ear but everything else, more violence, more, more deaths. Jesus and everyone with him could have, been, could have been killed at that moment if Jesus had have taken charge and, and sorted out the situation. It could have developed into something a lot worse. The most important lesson that Jesus wanted Peter to learn was that God's people are to proclaim love and peace not war and violence. Jesus wanted Peter to know that weapons we use, and indeed the enemies we, we truly have, are not actually physical or fleshly or carnal, but actually they're, they're entirely spiritual. Your, your greatest enemies aren't, aren't the person you don't like or you've fallen out with. It, it's, it's, it's principalities and powers. And they're the, they're the things that we fight against. So the third one and the final one here is a purposeful commitment. A purposeful commitment. If, if we're to be committed, it should be a purposeful commitment that we have. What I mean is this commitment that is never haphazard, it's not impulsive, and it's not random. So even though we might lose our perspective from time to time, commitment should always involve intent, not an evil intent. Not a worldly intent, but an intent of a godly nature. So, think about Jesus' commitment for a minute. Just just think about that. He, he could have easily saved himself, couldn't he? If you remember back to the scripture that, that we're basing this on this morning. He, all he had to do was say the word, he said, didn't he? He said, All I'm going to do is say the word and legions of, uh, of angels will, will, will come and save me. Now, I would argue that he probably only needed one. You know, but but he could have called upon this overkill of, of angels, you know thousands and thousands of them, to save him he, he didn 't really need Peter to physically fight for him, did he but peter hadn 't come to fully to the realization that jesus was god 's son, his only son, and it was God and God alone who should decide on how his son would be defended or not. The onus at that moment shouldn't have been on on Peter. Jesus knew the scriptures, didn't he? He knew that he, 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 he had a task to fulfill. The scriptures said that he had to die and he had a, he had a purposeful commitment to die for, for you and for me. He had a purposeful commitment to die for you and for me. For, for creation, in fact. For those who don't yet know Jesus he died for them for those who reject Jesus he died for them for those who are on a journey but are not quite sure he still died for them because if there were no crucifixion and no resurrection we'd all be destined for a life in hell so Jesus purposely committed himself to the cross for our sake I think that's incredible because without a cross or an empty tomb we'd have nothing but what we'd have have an inspiring story of a wonderful man who lived an exemplary life I'm actually really glad that Jesus had a purposeful commitment are you glad that Jesus had a purposeful commitment because what if he hadn't honored that commitment what if he decided not to be crucified? I'm, I'm not suggesting this could ever be, but just hypothetically, what, what if he decided not to be crucified on, on, on that cross? What, what if he looked into the future and actually he saw how, how, man, how, how men and women continue to be ungrateful and, and, and sinful and, and just, just not nice and going against what God wants? What, what if he thought, no, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not, I don't want to die for them? What if he'd seen here in the year 2018, how we're still arguing and debating over things that God has already established in His word and said, "Do you know what? It's not worth it. They're not worth it." What if Jesus had decided we're not worth dying for? What if he'd decided that our salvation wasn't worth His commitment? What if he looked, you know, in the cup? that he drank from what, what, what did he see? I, I wonder did he see us debating about whether or not we'll trust him and have faith in him? In 1 Corinthians 15 verses 12 to 19 uh, Paul the Apostle he wrote his own abbreviated version of what if Jesus hadn't risen from the grave does anybody do you remember this? do, do you know it? And I think Paul did us a great favour because he identified seven consequences for us if Jesus' body were decomposing in a grave somewhere. In other words, our preaching is without foundation. I'm just preaching lies to you right now without Jesus going through with his, his intentful commitment. Our faith has no foundation whatsoever. What are you doing here? Just There probably is no God, so go and enjoy life. To quote a famously poor advertising campaign in London we're, number three we're, we're false witnesses about God we're, we're, we're claiming that he did, he did what he did not so we're, we're all liars our faith is worthless we're, we're still soaked in our sins and all those who have died to Christ as it says, no they're just really dead dead and gone and lastly and, and most humbly if Jesus didn't die and rise again then we're to be pitied As mentally unhinged people who believe all this, we just need to be pitted. But here's the thing. Jesus did go to the cross. And the news is all good. You can all smile now. That was all sad, but this is good. Christ is our perfect example of what it means to have a purposeful commitment. It's, It's the only kind of commitment that God wants from us. It's, it's a commitment to die daily for Jesus Christ and his cause and so the question that we, we should ask ourselves every morning and maybe I, and I'm going to ask you right now is are you're fully committed to Jesus so, so ask ourselves every day today am I, going to be, am I going to be fully committed to Jesus because if not we should be <laughs> and, and now is the time and, and here's, here's some reasons why. Because, because if you're fully committed, the devil can't defeat you. The, the devil can't get to you. He can whisper sweet nothings in your ears. But whether you choose to listen to them or not, is whether you have Jesus at the centre of your life. Yep. With, with Jesus, as we said so many times this morning, with Jesus you'll walk through all your storms. He'll hold your hand and walk with you. He won't always get rid of the storm. Sometimes you you need to get through it. You need to get to the other side. But Jesus is with us. Walking with us. And, And also, here's another reason. Staying committed to Christ and his church means that you're never on your own. You are never on your own when you stay committed to Christ and his church. Be committed. And be sure of why you're committed. Because when Jesus died and rose again, it's because he was purposely committed to you and your salvation. I'm done. Can we just stand? Can we do, can we do that? Oh, something good about standing at the end of a preach. It kind of gets the blood flowing again. I, I, don't, I genuinely don't know where some of you are in, in your walk with Jesus. Some of us, some of us may be that kind of Christian who knows it, knows all the right things to say and how to present himself. But inside, you're struggling. You're like, man, I don't know if I really believe this. I don't know if I really get this. Some of us may be amazing at at having Christ at the centre. You you pray like regularly. You you read the Word regularly. You're, you're so good and, you know, brilliant. You, you, may, you know, there may be, uh, I, what I'm trying to say is I think just in this little room here, there, there's probably a, a whole kind of, I don't know what the word is, what word am I thinking of, Gary? It's a spectrum, thank you, there's a whole spectrum of, of where we're at. And, and I, I just, I guess what I want to say, for those of you who are on this side of the spectrum who are just who are just committed, can you humbly and graciously help those of us who aren't? You know, get, get involved in our lives and help us, help us on our journey as, as we walk on. And for those of you who are on the, the other side of the spectrum, why don't, you know, if you're struggling with what, what Jesus means and, and what his commitment is and, and how you're committed to him, let me humbly encourage you to, to submit, submit your your life to somebody to help you F- find somebody if you, you know be let me encourage you to, to give keep giving Jesus a go because if if you if you stay if you stay committed to him I'm telling you now you things will change in your life beyond belief circumstances may not immediately change, but, but your, your heart will change. Your, your, your mind will change as, as, as you purposely put him front and center and as you let his commitment be your commitment. So, so I'm encouraging you, find someone, connect with someone whom you see and, 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 and do life together. Because that's what it's about as a, as a church, isn't it? Because we're a family. Because families do that. If you're a single person, awesome. be amazing at being single and, and do all the amazing things and the, and the free time you've got you know and do some amazing stuff with it for God. Um, tell people about Jesus uh, you know be 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 that person who can be at all those things that some of us who are more busy with family sometimes can't be but ultimately what, I, what I'm getting at is that we're all family together and and, and that's how we need to approach it. We're not individuals that come together on a Sunday, but we're, we're family. When you're part of Freedom Church, you're part of the Freedom Church family. And, and we should be here for one another. So let's, let's start being honest with one another. Let's get relationships together and let's all move on in our faith. Yeah. Thank you, Father, for your word. And thank you, Father, for hearts that are turning towards you right now as I speak. Father God. Father, I pray for those of us amongst us who, who maybe are struggling and i walk with you, Father God. Help them find someone who can help them. And for those of us who may be at a place where, it, it, you know, it's a bit, we're, we're further down the line. Father, let us be humble enough to go, well, I need to, be, I need to share my life with others. Father, we thank you for just who you are. For the change you've made in our lives. And Father, help us live out a sincere faith. A faith with you at the heart of it and let us share that faith with others, Father God, through what we say as well as what we do. In the name of Jesus, we love you so much. Amen. In this house, we are real. But we also make mistakes. And when we do, we make sure we say sorry. We give second chances to anyone And we also have lots of fun. In this house, we definitely forgive. We also do loud. We give the best hugs. We are family. And in this house, that means we we love. love.